less than 10% of managers have ever been trained in how to manage. So, you know, we have all of these people in management who don't know what they're doing because they've never been taught, not their fault, but you know, we just like we parent either like our parents or different from our parents, we manage like a boss or not like a boss. Hello and welcome to Love as a Business Strategy, a podcast that brings humanity to the workplace. We're here to talk about business, but we want to tackle topics that most business leaders shy away from. We believe that humanity and love should be at the center of every successful business. I'm your host, Jeff Ma, and as always, I'm here to have conversations and hear stories with real people about real business and real life. My guest today is Janine Hamner-Holman, and Janine is an internationally recognized speaker, best-selling author, and expert on what it takes to attract and retain world-class talent, organizational cultural change and development, conscious leadership, leading in a virtual workspace, diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, psychological safety at work, and emotional intelligence. And I think I'll need to create separate episodes for each one of those. <laughs> Who knows? But as CEO of the J&J Consulting Group, Janine brings more than 30 years of experience to the stage for her consulting, workshops, keynote speaking, and trainings. Janine uses scientifically validated strategies and tools to build high-performance teams, enhance organizational functioning, and develop organizations and leaders with whom everyone wants to work. She's the author of the newly released book, Mind the Gap, Lessons in 21st Century Conscious Leadership, as well as a contributing author to the best-selling books, Mission Matters, World's Leading Entrepreneurs Reveal Their Top Tips to Success, and On the Shoulders of Mighty Women. And of course, she's also host of the podcast, The Cost of Not Paying Attention. So Janine, it's wonderful to have you here with me today. How are you doing? Oh, I am thrilled to be here with you today, Jeff. And it's it's so funny, you know, sort of hearing all of those things. I kept wanting to say, like, stop, <laughs> stop, because we, we we humans, we get self-conscious in those kinds of of intros. And it also got me thinking about how easily we can take ourselves out. We can take ourselves down. We can have imposter syndrome pop in. And, and so I just got to have an opportunity to just like, okay, he's saying all these things They're you know, they're all true. It feels like, feels like a lot and it feels really long, but I just get to be present and not wig out about um <laughs> about hearing all of that about myself so i know exactly I what you mean <laughs> yep but um imposter or not you are a, a valuable guest here today because there's so much there's so much i want to ask you about and before i get a chance to dive in i first want to hear about you i want to hear about janine and what your passion really centers around and, and and if you don't mind how you arrived in your life to that passion. 
We only have about 25 minutes, Jeff. That's a big question. <laughs> so, so I realized um, actually about when I was was contemplating leaving my last job where I was working for somebody else and, and going out on my own, I realized that sort of the through line in my life had been that I am on a mission to have the world of work be one in which everyone can thrive and and all of those words in there are are important and i think for me there there was a turning point where i started my uh, career initially i wanted to be an attorney and i went and i uh worked in a couple of really big law firms in new york city and realized oh no this is not what i want to do and so did a teeny pivot and went to work for social change nonprofit organizations for almost the next 20 years of my career. And early on in that career, I had this opportunity where I was working as a community organizer in the Bed-Stuy neighborhood of Brooklyn, New York, which this was in the mid to late 1980s. It was a pretty rough place back then. Um, and there was this one day where we were looking at uh, the state of public schools in Brooklyn, which was a very interesting place to look at public schools because there were some great ones and there were some really not great ones. And so I was I was in Bed-Stuy and there was this uh, school and it was raining that day and I walked in and almost the first thing I came to was a classroom of first graders except they'd run out of classroom space. And so this classroom was happening in a hallway and it was raining and there was like water coming in the ceiling and the teacher had put the ABCs up above the door jam and there are kids running around. And I thought if I were five or maybe six and sitting in a hall and trying to learn how to read what would the trajectory of my life be? And, you know, when we're in our early 20s, we still have a lot of that righteous indignation. And, and I remember thinking like, this is not the country that I, I think we have here. Like, what, what is happening? And so I got really interested in how to create systemic change and how to get at things at their root. And so when I started my business, I was really interested in how to address some of the challenges that organizations have at their root and not what we often do, which is, you know, we pop off the top of the dandelion and we think we've gotten it or we, we check a box because we know we're supposed to be doing something about this diversity thing, so we, we better do something. And often in that situation, what we end up doing, what organizations end up doing, causes more harm than good. And and mm -hmm. so I got really interested in how do we how do we address some of these things so that everyone can have a world of work in which they can thrive, which is why there's that whole word salad of things that, that I do that you read in the beginning. 
Well, that word salad happens to be, you know, a good page out of the most important book I, you know, <laughs> I subscribe to, which is, you know, these are these are some important things. And, right. you know, that's just, that change at a, at a deeper level is, I think, the the movement that's happening in the world right now, which may take, you know, I hope to see it in my lifetime. Who knows? Right. But it's such an important time right now to be in the workforce and and being a part of any culture because it's changing as as we've seen people want different things and we're doing different things we're trying different things and i know that you and and your business are are really kind of at the tip of the spear here when it comes to a lot of that stuff can you talk a little bit about that landscape and how you view it yeah, so I had an opportunity just last week. I was on the Global Chamber of Commerce and and I was talking about how in my opinion experience we are in this perfect storm that like any perfect storm we did not see coming. And it has to do with a couple of key things. One is there are massive demographic shifts that are happening. Um, you know, we've got the, the baby boomers and the Gen Xers who are, are you know, the baby boomers are, are mostly retired. They're now about 10% of the workforce. And the Gen Xers are mostly the folks in sort of senior positions and organizations. And then we have the millennials and the Gen Zs who are coming up after them. And, you know, every every generation throws shade on the generation that's coming after them and there's been a lot of shade thrown on millennials and the thing that i think is so brilliant about this generation is that they are completely unwilling to put up with the kind of nonsense that i put up with in jobs they are unwilling to work for a manager who's toxic they are unwilling to do work that has no meaning for them. You know, they they have these great values, and the um, the Gen Zs who are coming up after them, at least in the United States, this is the first generation that does not identify a majority of them as white. White people are less than fifty percent of Gen Z. And so we've got this big shift happening. We also are, you know, are, are we out? I'm, I'm not sure, but you know, we're, we're at the end, hopefully, of uh, this COVID pandemic. And part of what that created were, were totally new conversations about work so that people that you would not expect we're suddenly having conversations about like I need work-life balance and I'm not a fan of that word balance in that context I think harmony is a much better word because you're never like the the seesaw is always going to be going one way or the other but when we can create harmony when we can create you know a, a work-life connection that works for you then then we've got it and it also, because so many people 
were, at least for some period of time, not working, it gave people an opportunity to really think because we were in this health crisis about what's important and what are what are my values and and how do i want how do i want to work and then we've got all of the social movements diversity equity inclusion and belonging the me too movement the black lives matter movement you know we've got all of this social movements that are that are coming together and so we have you know these three really big things that are creating this pressure on organizations to have managers who are well-trained managers and as i know you know you know less than 10 percent of managers have ever been trained in how to manage so you know we have all of these people in management who don't know what they're doing because they've never been taught not their fault but you know we just like we parent either like our parents or different from our parents we manage like a boss or not like a boss and and this concept of boss is really changing you know people want somebody who's much more of a coach and a mentor and somebody who cares about them as a human being and not just a producer of work and cares about you know how their life is and what their trajectory is going to be at this company or someplace else and if i tell the truth i mean that's what i've always wanted too like those are great things to want i just wasn't willing to quit my job if i didn't get them and that's the thing that's fundamentally different about this generation is when they don't mm. get what they need they will leave what a you know, I asked the question not knowing where you'd go, but you gave <laughs> one of the best breakdowns and summaries of, of what's going on I've ever heard. Fantastic. <laughs> Thank you. I have a I have a close friend colleague of mine who she 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 always calls me boss uh -huh. just to mess with me because she knows <laughs> I hate it. Like we live in a world where that's kind of cringy. It's like yeah. she, she she's always like, got it, boss. And I'm like, I'm not your boss. And because I used to be, I hired her long ago. We are right. now close colleagues, but she still messes with me and it gets on my nerves. And you just, you brought that up for me. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't mean so, to push on the tender subject. <laughs> <laughs> so, so full disclosure, when yeah. looking through your list of, of you know, um, imposter syndrome triggers. Um, one thing that stood out to me and I wanted to kind of pick your brain around is the what I consider the longest four letter word, uh, psychological safety. Um, so to set it up to set up the stage why I'm curious about it is because yeah. obviously in, in my work, uh, it, it it's not the end all be all, but it's definitely a sign of where you're at. If you, right. if, if you have it or you don't, it kind of correlates one-to-one -one with your culture. Yep. Um, but that's what it is. It's, it's more of a, it's more of a symptom or an outcome, but it's often treated as a, 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 the way I put it is if you walk into a room and say the word psychological safety, you suck all the psychological safety out of that room. And, <laughs> you know, it's like this, it's like this problem you're chasing. Yeah. But you cannot go at it directly. 
Right. At least that's that's how I see it, because it's made up of so many other things to create psychological safety. If you just walk in a room and say, "We need psychological safety now," it's it's but literally the opposite effect. Move. Right. <laughs> and so I was curious. I was hoping you could first kind of, I guess, give me your kind of maybe you know thirty thousand foot take on psychological safety in a workplace and and we start from there because i'd love to pick your brain around it great so um just as a little bit of background in case anybody doesn't know this term psychological safety was really coined by uh, amy edmondson who is a professor at the harvard business school and she was studying actually what was happening in hospitals and looking at uh, rates of mortality connected to what she termed as psychological safety, which is essentially, is it safe for me to raise my hand, have a question, say, huh, I think I see it a different way, or I have a concern about this, or "Mm, I think we may be going down the wrong path. Like, and, and saying any of those things in, in, you know, a stereotypical, operating room where we've got doctors and nurses, very hierarchical system. What what she realized is that when that is present, when a nurse can say, um, doc, we're supposed to be operating on the left knee and you're looking at the right knee right now, or like you left a sponge in or, you know, what whatever it is, that can have really profound outcomes. And then it got in part because people started looking at like, hmm, this is this is interesting. And, and there's so many things baked into it. And so the way that I think about it, and, and this is just a new construct actually that I've come to in the last couple of weeks, is that in order for organizations to have success, in order for organizations to be places in which everyone can thrive, in order to have top and bottom line profitability, in order to carry out their mission, whatever that is, organizations have to be okay to fail. We've got to transform our relationship to failure. In order to transform our relationship with failure, we've got to have psychological safety. It's got to be okay to, it's got to be safe. In order to feel safe, we have to have trust. In order to have trust, we have to have connectivity. And, and so I, that's, that's what I've come to recent, my, my current working up, uh, sort of operational theory is that like, that's, that's the secret sauce. And that's the way that psychological safety comes into, into the mix so that it's not, you know, and a part of psychological safety is trust. A part of psychological safety is connectivity. A part of psychological safety is having it be okay to make mistakes. It's also interesting, you know, when we're talking at the foundation of it then is connectivity. Another word for connectivity could be love. So, you know, it, it it's coming. I mean, part of what I love about this moment in time is that we have 
all of these folks who are looking at this problem and coming up with all kinds of different permutations about what can what can be done how how do we how do we transform the world of work because like that's <laughs> that's a big thing to be taken on and you know certainly i'm not doing it all by myself i'm doing it you know in partnership with people like you and and hundreds of thousands of practitioners throughout the world and companies and organizations that are taking this on and so so that's that's how i see psychological safety as being embedded in this work is that helpful 100% and and again incredibly well summarized <laughs> you have a you have a great knack for it and and i couldn't agree more i you hit it right in the head and where you said connectivity i i automatically inserted love but you know love itself then breaks down into so many different elements in a workplace right so my question is around then how mm. and and the caveat here is obviously by building all the other things that we just mentioned right. but you know I'm, I'm curious your take on you know whose responsibility is it what does that look like practically in a workplace and how do you know if you're doing it right so whose responsibility is it it's it's everyone's responsibility I and mean, one of the one of the challenges one of the pitfalls that organizations sometimes fall into is is thinking that an initiative that sounds like what we're talking about well that sounds like hr and so you know hr is going to own this the problem with doing that is that in most organizations hr is not part of the C-suite. You know, occasionally it is, but usually it is not. I also, I also think that's an opportunity for transformation in organizational structure. If it's not part of the C-suite, it is usually accountable either to um, the CFO, in which case you've got an inherent problem between money and people. You have a constant battle that you are that you are building into the structure of your organization. Um, how do we pit money against people? Bad con not not the right conversation, not not a productive conversation to be having. So if or, or they're accountable to like the chief attorney or you know, put them in the C-suite so but usually they're not and so then you have a part of the organization that was established in order to protect the organization from its people that's the history of hr hr was established in order to protect organizations from retaliation from their own people so you have a department that is transforming as well because most people these days are in HR because they want people to have a great experience at work. And yet there are these old vestiges in, in many organizations of that lineage, of that history. And so where it's got to live as in be driven from is leadership. If leadership is not 
100% bought in, you're, you're not ultimately going to go anywhere. And then it, it is the opportunity and the obligation of all folks in the organization then to take it on. I'm working with an organization right now on diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. And one of the things that we established very quickly was that even though the impetus from this is coming from HR, what we need to do is ensure that there's buy-in at the leadership level, which, you know, it starts with, okay, so what do these words mean? Diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. What are we, what are we talking about here? And in pe with people who live that work, there's all of these other words, intersectionality, and, you know, there's all of these words that get sort of tossed around. So you've got to ground it with the leadership. And in my opinion, my experience, you've got to also ground it in the mission, vision, values of the organization. Because if it does not connect to the mission, vision, values of the organization, ultimately, it's going to become just a thing that we did at some point. And it's not going to have, it's not going to have sticking and staying power. Absolutely. And, you know, I think many organizations, especially as we talked about, we're in a moment or we're in a time of change. And so you're seeing organizations trying all kinds of things, doing all kinds of things differently to varying levels of success. But one of the biggest pitfalls I'm I'm seeing is around the gap between leadership buy-in, mission values and statements, things like that, and behavior, <laughs> actual, actual living mm -hmm. out. And you see it end up doing way more harm to say, we're going to love each other. We're going to trust each other. We're going we're gonna to do all these things. And your leadership is bought in and here are the new values and your leaders are behind you all the way. And these leaders in reality see themselves outside of the problem. They're rolling, they're rolling out an initiative for everybody else. They're funding the new, um, you know, director or, you know, C-suite level person that's overseeing DEI and yep. problem, problem solved, sign the check and we are good. And, and it, it's subtle in some cases, but it's, it's apparent because psychological safety um, and really culture for that matter, you know, lives more in a smile in an elevator than it does in a statement on a wall. So, you know, trying to get to a question here, because I'm just, I'm also just, you know, word vomiting out right now. But the, the question I have for you then is, you're nodding. So my first question was, do you see that as well? And I, I'm going to assume you do. So the follow up question is, how do you address behavior? How do you address leadership behavior? So the first thing that I do is, is, is work with leadership to get really clear on, actually, I start with values before, before mission. I start with values because values are what's lived out every day in the organization. 
and and I asked them, so tell me, all right, so your value is authenticity, to take a word that's thrown around a lot these days. Great. What does that mean? How do I know if someone in this organization is being authentic? What does that look like here? What's your evidence that that is, in fact, one of your values? Tell me about some times when people have been authentic or inauthentic, and what does that look like? Tell me about a time that you were inauthentic and, and what happened. And so I, I worked to get them to really both figure out what, what do we mean, you know, we, we have integrity here. Well, find me an organization that's going to say, yeah, we have no integrity. We have no integrity. People lie, cheat, steal. It's all good here. Like, no, you're not going to ever find an organization that's proud of their lack of integrity. But what does integrity mean here? And how do we know? And what do you do? What do you do, Jeff, that has people feel your integrity? If as a leader of an organization, and that's one of your values, you can't tell me a story about that or a story about some time when you realized, ah, oh, crap, what I, what I am doing or trying to do or intending to do is actually out of alignment with that value. Because, you know, I have all sorts of values and, and then sometimes I find myself doing things and you know, I've been doing the work long enough. Usually I catch myself at some point and say, oh, wait, I, I, I can't I can't do that. That's that's not in alignment with my values. And so if if you can't tell me a story about a time when you started down a path, maybe even only for 20 seconds in your own mind and then realized, oh, crap, I, I can't do that. That's trying to save myself. That's trying to look good. That's trying to, you know, do all the things that us humans do. Then, then either it's an aspirational value, which is okay. But then again, we get to grapple with what does that look like? What does that feel like? And then we check in on it. And then we work with the whole organization on it. You know, when, when you say, okay, so these are our values, integrity and fun and authenticity and you know, wh whatever they are. And then you roll it out to your people and you start doing some polling and some work groups around it and, and some anonymous stuff and people are rolling their eyes and like, yeah, I, I, that's not what it's like to work here. All right, so now we have an opportunity. Now we get to figure out, so tell me about how we're not living that value every day and what would it look like if we did? And what would your part of that be? Because, you know, just like the previous generation loves to throw shade on the next generation coming up, people love to say, oh yeah, that's not what we do here. Well, so then what could you do that would move that ball forward is a conversation that that often catches people flat-footed because that's, that's not how we're socialized. We point out problems, but we don't think about how am I the solution? And that's that's part of what it takes to create organizational change. I love it. I love it. And this is one of those rare moments when I really regret deciding to make this podcast 30 minute episodes <laughs> because I've got a laundry list of questions and about eight more topics I want to cover. 
So if you're listening and you want you want more Janine like I do, please write me write in, uh, leave leave some feedback, and and I'm gonna bribe her to come back and continue some of this conversation. But in the meantime, Janine, thank you so much. The time flew by with your wisdom and and just the way you're you're tying a bow on so many of these topics in such a really understandable and really really comprehensible way. It's awesome. It's a gift. So don't you know. Don't feel awkward, but you're incredible. It's awesome. Thank you so much. <laughs> oh, you're you're so welcome. And part of part of what's great is we get to continue this conversation in a month and a half or so when you and yeah. Chris are coming on my podcast. Yes, we are. We'll be joining yeah. the cost of not paying attention, which yeah. I'm sure everyone will tune into as well. So Janine, that's our time, but to be continued. And thank you so much for your your wisdom and your time today. It's meant a lot. And uh, to our listeners, thank you to you as always. I'm sure you have already, but if you haven't, please check out the book, Love is a Business Strategy. And, and check out Janine's book, Mind the Gap, Lessons in 21st Century Conscious Leadership. And with that, we're out of time. So thank you to everybody. Have a wonderful week and we'll see you next time.